I assume he'll hang up eventually. But until then, it's time to troll Matthew. It's time to troll Matthew with songs about trolls. Trolls 2 starring the McElroy. It's a bad song. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Superhero Ethics Podcast. I am Jacob Malichich. I am one of your hosts. Joining me, as always, is Matthew Westfox, another of our hosts. Matthew, how are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. I just got engaged this week, so I've had a very active week, and I get to have um, a podcast this week where I will say very little, so it's kind of perfect. Yeah, that's going to be a a rare thing. One of these times we'll we'll have a podcast where I don't talk very much, um, maybe ever. <laughs> uh but uh today uh we've got two very special guests on. I'm very excited to uh, to have this conversation because they're really the reason why uh I decided to to talk about this sort of thing at all. And it's a little bit of a it may seem a little bit of a departure from what we normally talk about. Uh cuz normally we're talking about superhero stories like uh things out of comic books, things out of the Marvel cinematic universe uh talking about tony stark uh very rarely occasionally talking about daredevil and kingpin right uh from the netflix mcus that nobody ever watches or talks about uh but today we're going to talk about wrestling specifically this creature called professional wrestling uh which includes things like the the wwe but also uh other other promotions as well other other forms of this uh and first, I'm going to introduce our guests so people uh, will know who's who's who when the voices come up. And then we're going to talk a little bit about why this is so that people who are all like, why in the world is this superhero podcast talking about wrestling? Uh, so first off, I'd like to introduce Tim Aubel, good friend of mine. Tim, how's it going? Going pretty well, thank you. So Tim, uh, you're sort of among uh, my local friends group, our local friends group, right? You're you're kind of the, uh, as we've been saying, the patient zero here, the one who who infected everyone else with this with this passion. Uh, what what got you started uh, watching wrestling, getting into wrestling? So there was one Friday or Saturday night where I was channel surfing and trying to figure out what was on TV, and I came across a television show where there were people in this wrestling ring one of them was holding a microphone had his foot on another man's neck on top of a briefcase and was yelling bring them back or i'm going to break this man's neck (laughs) and and i immediately went okay this is very clearly pro wrestling and fake but one of my great loves in fiction is world building and storylines and settings. And I wanted to know how they got to this point and what came to this point and what everyone was talking about. So from that point, I sort of dove in looking for internet places where they would talk about this and sort of just learn everything in this weird, wild world of people yelling that they're going to break a man's neck just in the middle of a crowded arena. <laughs> mm-hmm. Excellent. So, so Addison, uh, how about you? What, where do you come from in this? What's your perspective in history with, with wrestling? Uh, so I've always had a massive spot in my heart for things that are incredibly over the top. A little bit of that comes from uh, some uh, small background in theater, I think. But that means 
comic books, uh, action movies, anything where just the amount of melodrama and emotion on display is uh, far outside the bounds of what a normal person would expect to experience. Uh, And so uh, Tim found out about that and said, you should definitely watch wrestling. And uh, invited me and a couple other friends over and uh, the rest is history. That sounds accurate on all accounts. Uh, so from from my perspective, I've uh, I think I'm the latest bloomer within uh, within this particular group, the one who got into it uh, last. But I've I sort of bit hard onto this, and so to for for our listeners, why we're talking about wrestling specifically is that while you know when you're looking at it from the outside, it it looks a lot like a soap opera. It has a lot of the same kind of of tropes and and trappings of soap opera. It's also very much like comic book super, superhero stories with clear heroes, clear villains, storylines surrounding them. You've got plots and schemes. You've got people with agendas and you've got people who are supposed to be uh, presenting as the right side of things. You know, they're, they're the good guys. They're doing good guy things. And then you've got guys who people who are who are being uh, underhanded or sneaky or doing stuff that shouldn't be allowed and are getting away with it. And, you know, so obviously they're, they're your villains. And as it turns out, both within the fiction of wrestling itself, but also surrounding the, the business and surrounding the culture and the fans, there are a lot of ethical considerations to dive into. Uh, And so as I've been getting more into it, uh, Matthew and I had been talking and, and thinking, is this a, is this a topic? And we think it is. So, <clears throat> from uh, from that perspective, uh, what are your thoughts on? Do I get to chime in with my history you... with wrestling? Yeah, you. Yeah, what's your history with wrestling, Matthew? <laughs> well, and it, it's kind of a joke because mine is probably the I have the least connection to wrestling here, and I'm so I'm going to sort of be the like uh, the, um, uh, the 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 new person voice, um, the, the the voice of the everyman here who doesn't have any idea what you guys are talking about. Um, but but I have an odd story with it because I actually probably have been. I was watching wrestling a long time ago when I was a kid, um, back when, uh, at least among the people who I knew who were into wrestling, and this is the days of the, the 80s when it was Hulk Hogan and Superfly Snuka and the Iron Sheik and 8 million other uh, horribly racist tropes of the sort, <laughs> um, they weren't being honest about the or they don't really be honest, but like, they, they were not being quite so clear about the fact that it was obviously fake. And I remember knowing a lot of people who thought it was real and thought it was a real competition on the same level as the NFL or Major League Baseball. And I, I liked it when I was 10, and then uh, you know I, I got to be a little bit older, and I realized it was kind of silly, and I lost my, my taste for it. And, and I think a big part of what intrigued me when I came back to it a lot later, uh, mostly because you guys were so into it, is the fact that now it is completely understood that this is fake, that or not? But when I say fake, I should say it's fictionalized. That there isn't an actual competition happening where people are unsure who is going to win in the wrestling match. That these are all scripted. But as a couple of you pointed out, that it's a soap opera playing out. Um, and I'll say, while I still I've watched maybe three wrestling events over the last twenty years, uh, namely a couple of uh, uh, Royal Rumbles or WrestleManias with you guys. 
um, between the conversations you all have been holding, having, and also I have to be honest, watching the TV show Glow, which really did a great job of exploring the behind-the-scenes discussions about the heels and the faces and how you write these stories and how you find the, the ethical storylines, uh, it really got me excited, and I'll probably be taking more of a back seat than anyone else in this topic, but hopefully asking some questions, because it's one I'm really excited for us to talk about, and just just by knowing a couple of our other friends who are bummed that they can't be on this podcast, um, I'm sure this is a topic we're going to be returning to more than once. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to this. Glow is a great example, too, as someone who has watched that show. It does a very good job of showing the the fiction of the storylines, but also the reality of things like injuries and racial tensions and all those sorts of things. Right, and I think it almost goes without saying, if you know anything about Glow, but obviously the, the gender dynamic, uh, and how it played out. 20, 30 years ago is is different than how it's playing out now, and it continues to evolve. I'm not sure it's in the best place that it can be right now, but uh, I, I guess hope springs eternal uh, is sort of my catchphrase. I mean, uh, Eric Aleph, who is one of the friends who I know, who, uh, a fellow judge who really wanted to be on this podcast, uh, he was pointing out to me that we at least are no longer in the days of the bra and panty matches, so we've made progress. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I have not gone back to watch those. I did not start at that point. I have no desire to go back to it. So sort of getting so like, as we said, uh, we're, we're, all, we're entering into this with the understanding that at least the stories we're being told uh, sort of in media, right, are fictional. Uh, but they're still like there's still uh, and I want to make sure this is understood. The athleticism it takes to do the things that these people do is just incredible. Um, and so it's interesting that we have this sort of performative art form that is so physically taxing and can often still be very dangerous uh, that is not ostensibly actually competitive, at least for what people see in ring, um, what people see that's like televised or, or in local house shows. Um, we'll get more into that, I think, when we're talking about the reality, like the, the meta concerns. <clears throat> but for right now... I think the first thing to talk about, which is the the thing that has the closest parallel to superhero stories, are what takes place like within the fiction itself, uh, and this sort of un- with the understanding that sometimes it's harder to separate problems we're having with the fiction with problems we have with the people who write the fiction, and who are technically outside of the fiction, and blah 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 blah. Um, but we deal with that uh, with everything else that we talk about on here. I think so. This is. Not all that different. Uh, and so I guess I'll throw to Addison this time. Uh, what's something that you think about when you think about um, ethical considerations within the fiction, within the fictional stories of wrestling? So the big thing with talking about the uh, storylines of wrestling is, uh, as Matthew was saying, it goes back to the uh, historical uh big tropes that all of the wrestling has to rely on in order to tell the kinds of stories that it wants to tell with no information other than this guy's punching this guy in the face. Uh, And you're supposed to root for this one, even though he's doing the punching right now. Uh, And so when I am thinking about the ethical considerations of wrestling storylines, the things that jump to mind for me are... uh, Typically, uh, the the big 
things that move storylines between the matches, uh, the promos that wrestlers uh, use to threaten other wrestlers or threaten the audience or build themselves up. Uh, and the content of those promos tends to be the uh, most fraught place for uh, those tropes turning into stereotypes or worse, uh, which uh, is uh, never great. A uh, recent example of this uh, was uh, when Jinder Mahal was the WWE champion uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, he had a uh, big challenger in Shinsuke Nakamura, who is a Japanese wrestler. And uh, Jinder Mahal had several promos over the course of one night uh, that were making fun of Shinsuke's slanty eyes and things, uh, which is uh, didn't go over well with the live audience, didn't go over well with the internet audience, and that particular angle was not broached again over the course of that storyline, but it was uh, very troublesome to uh, hear at the time. Absolutely. Goodness. Uh, that's unfortunately not all that surprising to hear, uh, because one of the things that that uh, is always jarring to me is that it seems like there's this idea that as soon as they've identified somebody as a bad guy, uh, sometimes that seems to indicate to them, oh, this person's a heel, so we can have them say whatever problematic garbage we want, and it's okay because they're supposed to be the bad guy. Is it? Do you guys get that same feeling, that that's like part of the conceit? There's definitely a line there. Acceptability of insults is the term that I really want to use there. Um, there are definitely places where heels the bad guys in this case uh will go that would be crossing a line if you're just talking to your friends or giving uh a speech in front of a crowd at a press conference or a political rally or something like that um like the line is much further in that case but there are still lines that you don't want to cross because everybody knows that it's fictional um, this wasn't exactly a promo, but there was some, there was a match a few months ago where there was a double amputee wrestler. Uh, he had two amputated legs and one of the other wrestlers in the ring at the time repeatedly called him Lieutenant Dan during the match Oof. and, uh, trying to get heat, trying to get the crowd to boo him, but... Mm -hmm. Like, there are still lines that make people uncomfortable, even if they're supposed to be booing. That concept of heat is something that's, I think, important to bring up here, especially for the listeners who aren't super into wrestling. Heat is uh, when the audience is reacting to what you're doing in any way. And there's uh, positive heat from being very uh good and wanting people to root for you and there's uh negative heat for being very evil and having people boo you and it's uh fairly common to try to get that heat cheaply by uh making fun of the local sports team or 
making fun of your opponent in some way that is, uh, you know, like this, not uh, an acceptable target in uh, in the modern culture. Right. Right. Uh, like like the paint making fun of Shinsuke Nakamura's slanty eyes, right? Like, I I think that the intent was to try to get some cheap heat for, for Jinder Mahal, but just because it's wrong, for, like, because it's wrong for somebody to say, yeah, you're probably going to get a big reaction, but that doesn't mean that it, I guess the, the cost isn't always worth it, right? Right. Um, in a lot of ways, what what they end up doing is pervading some of these these toxic or or problematic ideas in our culture that these things are ever acceptable to say, like in jest, for example. Right, and and it's interesting because I think that's a problem that comes up in a lot of other spaces. Um, a long, long time ago on this podcast, we did an episode actually on the ethics of live action role playing. Um. And there was a time where one of the most problematic things that would happen in in that kind of live action role playing, which for those who don't know, it's more where it's like a role playing game, like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's much more of like there's much larger groups of people and everyone is standing up and wearing costumes. Uh, although this could be a problem even in just you know five people playing D and D around a table, where someone would would have the attitude of, oh well, my character is this terrible racist, and so I'm saying terrible racist things in my character. Um, and in that world, at least, it seems there's been a, a there's still a lot that that attitude is still pervasive. But there's a lot there's been a big move, especially from the game publishers, to really say that's not okay at all. Um, it sounds like within the WWE world that there's somewhat of a move away from it, but that still a lot of it exists. Is that is that you think fairly accurate? That's uh, absolutely accurate. Uh, the WWE has made great strides in some directions and in many other directions. Uh, such as uh, the treatment of wrestlers of color uh, made few strides forward and in uh, more specific ways, steps backwards. There's a wrestling trope, a classic wrestling trope, which is the foreign heel, which tends to devolve from, instead of the a character being a heel and being a bad guy for the things they're doing, turning them into being a bad guy because they're not from America or mm. uh, in the case of a Japanese promotion, because they're not from Japan and it it's popular, but it's very easy to do and really sort of cheapens the effect of the bad things those characters are doing. Right. Like for a long time, Rusev, I mean, Rusev's shtick is still that he's foreign, right? But uh, he was being billed from Russia because we were having issues with Russia, I think is the history. I'm, I'm not 100% on that because I wasn't into the product back when that was happening. Uh, <clears throat> before we get too much further, I just want to make sure uh, people understand. So we're, we're going to use some terminology like heel, like face. For anybody not in the know, like that literally translates to heel, villain, face, uh, hero. You can you can sort of internalize those ideas that way. Uh, the face is sort of a shorthand for baby face. Um, heel is a lot, I think, more uh, of a straight line <laughs> for villain. But like heels are th- people who are you're supposed to boo, and faces are people you're supposed to cheer. Um, and the reason why I wanted to sort of transition. Uh, into talking about that is that there are some times where we're given a character that we're supposed to boo, and here's where we can we sort of get like 
it seems almost a peek behind the curtain where what they're writing instead people are like yeah you know that makes sense they're right uh such as the the main example i'm thinking of is uh daniel bryan who i love um <clears throat> who is uh, a vegan right like real life is a vegan has uh and uh also eco-conscious um and they sort of had him adopt that as his heel gimmick yelling at people for buying concession stand hot dogs and stuff like that um and i like it felt to me for the for the promotional material i've seen like the intent was that people were supposed to be mad at daniel bryan be like no don't take away i'm american i'm whatever and actually i've seen a lot of reaction that's more like yeah you know (laughs) he's not wrong we don't hate him. Uh, well, and that was actually one of the things I was going to ask is because I know um, I, I know that often uh, on this podcast, Jacob, you and I, the, the villains who you and I are almost most drawn to um, are the folks like Magneto or Killmonger or um, some guy in Daredevil who wears a white suit whose name I can't remember. But, but it, we often talk about how it's the, it's the villains who we think have a point as opposed to the mustache twirlers. The way you're describing it, it sounds like most WWE villains are written much more mustache twirly, but 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 I, 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 it, it, but that there are some that are much more like they have a point of view that that someone could believe could could agree with. I mean, th- like again, I'm still pretty new to it. I've seen far more of the like sort of one note, like this is this person's gimmick type characters. There are some that are more nuanced or that have more in this particular case, just something where there's like a nugget of, of truth behind what they're saying. That's not necessarily completely villainous or, or wrong thinking. Right. As opposed to, um, you know, some of the, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of a heel who's clearly just doing something bad that is not like problematic, but is definitely like something no one's going to agree with. Uh, and for some whatever reason, I guess Samoa Joe is a good example, right? Because he likes to ambush people before they actually have matches and not actually fight the real matches. Uh, Samoa Joe also likes to threaten people's families. Yeah, sure, that's and that's obviously example. a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but we, this is something we see comic book villains do as well, right? Like uh, when somebody's like, "Oh, I have found your weakness. You care about this person, so I'm going to to threaten them to get to you." Uh, same kind of thing here, right? Um, <laughs> to, and sometimes it plays well, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, <clears throat> any, so anyway, uh, not to get too uh, digressive on this, because there's a lot more to talk about uh, in terms of the fiction. Um, but anything else on just sort of what these people like? What is acceptable for people to say, and the problems that we have when? Uh, these characters are being portrayed in this way or saying these types of things in order to get that negative reaction from the crowd? Well, sometimes even with sensitive topics, um, they're handled well. I remember right. one storyline a couple years ago between uh, two women wrestlers, Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss, who started out as friends and uh, then quote-unquote secretly, Alexa was recorded in backstage segments uh, insulting Naya and body-shaming her because she's, uh, she's she used to be a plus-size model and that sort of thing. Um, just a lot of bullying segments 
which went on for a while and culminated in Nia beating Alexa for the women's championship at WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year. Um, and that's a topic that there's a lot of sensitivity and people are very sensitive about. But in this case, both of the performers have personal history with things like eating disorders or that sort of uh, bullying and body shaming and wanted to tell this storyline in this way to bring attention to that. And I felt it was handled very well. Well, and, th- and that actually is a really good point that I was thinking about before when you were bringing up things like the, the anti-Asian comments or the, 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 the Lieutenant Dan comments, which is, I, I think as you said, the fact that both actors in it um, are, are on board with it and are okay with it doesn't make it okay necessarily, but I do think it's a very important point. Because I was wondering, in that sort of, to me, I would feel very differently about something like the Lieutenant Dan thing if I knew that the... The, the person who was playing the heel went up to that disabled wrestler backstage and said, hey, how do you feel about if, like, during the promos, I, I use these, you know, I call you Lieutenant Dan or things like that. And I, do you guys have an idea how often does that happen? Like, do they make sure that the face is on board with the way that they're going to get bullied and, and commented? Or is it often just as much a surprise to them uh, on screen as it is to, to, to the audience? Boy, it is really tough to know that sometimes i'm not privy to all that backstage information but they do review scripts they do review that sort of thing they review their matches together beforehand with each other so i assume to some extent it's discussed um but i'm not sure how much there are some things that some performers will refuse to say um there was a recent uh segment with then Dean Ambrose, who was a heel, um, where he was given a script of what he was supposed to say about uh, on hiatus Roman Reigns, who was on hiatus due to a real-life leukemia diagnosis. And Dean absolutely refused to say a particular line that was in the script because he was quoted as saying, it will lose us sponsors if I say this. Right. So there are definitely instances of ensuring there's consent from all performers for certain things, but not necessarily all the time. Right. And if there is going to be, so if there is going to be any kind of uh, informed consent with regard to anything in a wrestling match, the words are probably the thing that's going to slip your mind the most, considering the amount of... uh, improvisation and working from bullet points that most promos tend to be composed of. And I'd imagine that there's a direct correlation between how popular of a character you are with the fans and the amount of power you have to push back like that. And that there's probably, it's great when characters can say, no, I don't want to do that. But that if you're, you know, a new character who's getting their first big break, you probably have less, you know, comfort speaking up like that. Absolutely. That that makes sense to me. Uh, obviously, I'm not an insider. I don't know how it works. But from some some interviews that I've that I've listened to, uh, that does seem to be the case, right? Where like people who are just breaking in the industry have a lot less agency over, you know, being able to draw those lines um, <clears throat> than people who are more established and can use their star power 
right? For And this is also an, an ethical topic, right? People who use their star power to influence what what is promoted, right? What ends up in the final product. Um, and I mean, for a while, there were a lot of wrestlers who had creative control written into their contracts so they could do that sort of thing. It's definitely mm-hmm. something that's been an issue historically. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and so, like, in, in this plays directly into us talking about uh, ethical things in the fiction because when, when you get right down to it, the stories we get told are told through a combination of the physical action uh, taken by the the wrestlers involved in the stories and by the words they say. And uh, Addison, I think it was you who had said that they get like bullet points and then talk from there. Uh, so, or or was it Tim? I'm sorry, I don't actually remember who said it. Uh, I but um, the the if there is some degree of improvisation, right? that means that some amount of ownership of those words does go to the talent. Mm-hmm. And the degree of bullet pointing uh, from what I've also gleaned from uh, interviews, because I'm also not a backstage insider, uh, is that it varies not only uh, promotion to promotion, but also wrestler to wrestler. Some people are... Uh, either due to their star power or just due to having proven that they're good at improv are given more uh, more or less fleshed out scripts to work from and people who are not proven to be uh, able to work a microphone uh, are given uh, a full word-for-word promo that they're expected to memorize. Right. And I mean, from, from a just a structure perspective that makes sense right you don't want your your show for the evening to go off the rails because somebody who's less comfortable with improvisation um you know misses a line or misses the train of thought or loses themselves or or the you know is doing something the audience isn't buying into um but it does mean that those people uh, inherently have less agency over what they end up saying right uh so anyway uh, moving on to another, uh, it wouldn't be me, I think, on a podcast like this if I didn't at least briefly touch on the fact that basically every conflict that any of the heroes and villains have with each other in wrestling is solved via some form of violence. Sometimes very extreme violence, other times less extreme violence, but it's st- it's still a fight. Right. The idea in the fiction is that these two people are fighting each other until usually either one person uh, lays down on top of the other person long enough or uh, makes the other person go, well, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose one of my limbs or my lower back or something Um, in in talking about uh, submissions. And I've, I've spoken on this podcast in the past about how. You know, I'm not always super a fan of all conflicts being resolved via violence, um, and yet I really enjoy this. And for me, at least, uh, I draw a lot of parallels with with uh, wrestling in Hong Kong action theater. Uh, things, movies like um, Hero or like uh, The One, or I'm just listing off Jet Li movies. Apparently, Fearless, um, but also like Kung Fu Hustle. Uh, the, these movies that are the, the the parallels for me are the the physicality of the people involved is part of the story, right? Um, 
And so, like, because because of that, the violence is almost inherent in, like, you. I don't think you can tell wrestling stories without violence. And that inherently feels like a problem to me. But it's also something that I enjoy, which is, is something I wrestle with. Uh, does, does anybody else feel that way? Does anybody else feel like... Um, a little bit guilty for for enjoying this because it's it's being uh sort of promoted to you as as violence fictional though it may be yeah and i wonder how much of my enjoyment of that is due to my brain going and knowing that it's fake like i don't watch ufc or mma or boxing or the real sports where it's solved through punching each other in the face really hard I I tend to look at this a lot like the stunt shows at something like Disney World or Universal mm. Studios, uh, where there's these incredible feats of athleticism, and there is also a storyline, and just, like, there's a lot of violence inherent in that sort of thing. And I think my brain ties those two things together more than I realized when I started watching it. That makes a lot of sense. I definitely uh, agree that I would not watch wrestling if it was real. Uh, the What it comes back for me is, uh, as I mentioned at the very top of this, it's so melodramatic and over the top, and they use the violence to serve sometimes a greater story and sometimes a, a lesser one. But uh, the, the it's not violence for the sake of violence it's violence for a righteous cause or violence for revenge or something like that and having a full actual story before and after the match where that violence has consequences uh and was a consequence of things uh is uh an important distinction between uh, wrestling and actual sports. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, unlike with actual sports, where it's only the the outcome, it's only the winner and, and loser that matters, and, and that's it. Um, there's implications after the fact. Uh, in particular, a story that that culminated at this year's WrestleMania with uh, Kofi Kingston, uh, where it was basically a story about somebody who's been working. You know, working really hard, working in the industry a long time, not being given opportunities, right? Very classic uh, sort of blue-collar hero-type story structure. Um, but the opportunities we're talking about are specifically, you know, these in-ring physical competitions. And a lot of the storytelling around there was very violent, in uh, up to and including him having to fight, like, multiple people in sequence on a given night, right? Um, but the outcomes of that were always more important it was it was about uh proving that people saying that he wasn't good enough or that he didn't deserve those opportunities and that's why he wasn't being given them were wrong and that was the real right that that was the story it wasn't that oh he's super strong and so he's going to punch everybody to prove that he's the strongest it was he's good at this and it wasn't just about raw strength but it was about talent yeah, the story, the the violence is a storyline beat as opposed to being the whole storyline. Right, and especially since some spots uh, look impressive as heck, and actually, when you think about how much it would hurt, probably not a lot. Some, 
but probably not all that much, unless you do it wrong. Uh, which, oof, um, there's some uh, shooting star presses I have seen uh, that uh, make me go, oh, oh, that moves way more dangerous than I thought, uh, but only to the person doing it. <laughs> so I don't think that I've ever had my eyes open for the entirety of a Jeff Hardy Swanton bomb. Mm. <laughs> because it's so risky. Uh, and that's the other thing. Like, so we can that that's actually a really good launch off point to talk about. Uh, unless people had more to talk about in in the fiction, um, we could jump right into talking about sort of more of the the real life concerns because these are uh, these are people obviously who are doing these as uh, I think most of us have intimated incredibly impressive and sometimes very dangerous athletic feats for our entertainment. Um, you can draw some parallels to uh, football, though the analog's not quite the same because uh, American football is still a, an actual sports competition. Um, but I, I sort of mentally go even farther back uh, and think historically back to the the Roman Colosseum, right? And the, the violence sport for the entertainment of others, uh, people putting their bodies at risk. It's not the same because people aren't literally trying to kill each other as far as I know. Uh, so better, right? But still a lot of concern there. Yeah, I mean, football or any sport is really a good example because to some extent you can't always fully enjoy it knowing how much risk they're putting their bodies under and how horrible injuries can be to witness and how devastating they can be to someone's life in some cases. Um, I have watched much less football recently as, uh, like athletes are getting more and more physically impressive. It means the injuries are more and more physically devastating due to speed and power and all those sorts of things. And it's, it's really tough to watch knowing that you might see something horrible, which is a problem in wrestling too. There are definitely spots and moves where I like have to swallow hard afterwards and I'm holding my breath to make sure that it goes off without a hitch and that there's no devastating injury. Well, and in regard to the NFL, Tim, I think you make a really good point. And I know that in, in recent years, we've been talking a lot in football, not just about the sort of momentary, like, oh my God, that, that hit destroyed that person's leg. They're never going to walk again, which as you're right, are awful, but also just the the growing understanding that the the years of repetitive injuries, especially repetitive head injuries and concussions, we discover 10, 15, 20 years later have massive brain damage effects that are causing, you know, horrific um, life-altering effects, in, including a number of suicides and other just really uh, debilitative uh, issues. Uh, and, and that further in the NFL – there has been a real pushback from the NFL against changing the safety rules to prevent those kind of things. Now, that's now getting better, but it took a while. Um, has there been anything like that in wrestling? Like, Have we been hearing stories about wrestlers from the 80s and 90s who are now suffering um, you know, traumatic brain injury or, or – or, uh, I think that may not be the right technical term, but uh, – from repeated... or, uh, what, what is it called? CED or there's a – CTE, right. yeah, uh, yeah, but, but do we have stories from wrestlers who are who are dealing with that ten, fifteen years after they retired? Um, and and has the WWE, um, 
I mean, I, I just as one example off the top of my head, I'm guessing it would be much harder to um, pull off the storylines if all the wrestlers were in helmets. But I don't know if anyone's ever pushed for that. Like, what have those discussions that have happened in the NFL been playing out in in professional wrestling? Yeah, and so unfortunately, there aren't really stories about wrestlers suffering long term effects from concussions 15 years after they retired because most wrestlers don't live 15 years after they've retired due to their uh, repetitive head injuries. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the lifespan of a professional wrestler is it's un it's unreal uh, and really sobering when you when you realize. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Continue, Addison. The 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 uh, the conversation around things like uh, uh, concussions and uh, the more dangerous spots has absolutely evolved over the last twenty years or so. Uh, if you look back even to the early 2000s, uh, you see uh, the WWE, which is uh, from, at least in America, easily the most uh, conservative of the promotions as far as violence now, uh, which is uh, not a high bar to clear. Uh, they would have... Uh, spots with unprotected chair shots to the head and uh they had uh more matches with uh uh like uh thumbtacks and things and just the even the things that aren't especially dangerous but look impressive because they make you bleed from the forehead they they've been cutting back on doing that and making it look more bloodless over the last uh, half a decade or so. And even in the WWE, uh, it's still a... uh, uh, There's still lots of instances where things just don't work and it uh, causes a problem. Uh, the, The most recent example that I can think of off the top of my head is the... Uh, storyline leading up to WrestleMania this year where uh, Becky Lynch uh, who is a uh, who is currently the women's champion uh, took a bad hit to the face and uh, ended up uh, with a broken nose and a mild concussion from essentially a a light punch that was just uh, set up a little bit wrong, uh, but heads are fragile. And so I, I have to ask at this point, and I, it sounds like maybe you, you partially answered this question by saying that things have gotten better. Um, what you just said about how we don't really know because most of the wrestlers from, from a while that, that wrestling distinctly shortens people's lifespan. If that was true today, I, I, I think I would have trouble. Uh, I, I get my, my question was going to be, how, how do you justify watching it then? If, if, if it is actually that, you know, horrific health, health, health responses. It does sound like from what you're saying, it has gotten better. Is that, is that, is that, am I understanding there? Yeah. Like the wrestlers who are retiring today, like Kurt Angle, who recently retired, are considerably more likely to not become statistics in the next five years than wrestlers who retired 10 or 15 years ago. Right. We, we also have, uh, I'd be remiss to not mention this, um, 
there's more talk about it in the wrestling fandom and professional wrestling community in general now. Uh, in particular, um, there's a very famous wrestler from uh, from a while ba- a while ago now, uh, Rob Van Dam, RVD, uh, who released a documentary called Headstrong. Um, it was originally supposed to be a documentary about something else entirely, uh, where he was going around doing some stand-up comedy, I want to say, uh, but he was suffering some long-term CTE effects, didn't realize it, was trying to just power through it, and the documentary ends up being about him seeing doctors, getting the diagnosis, going through all of that, being told like his things like his life expectancy and, and what's going to happen with, with his brain his thought, and his thinking and, and stuff over time. It's just a fantastic thing to have come out really, really... Uh, really heartbreaking that it had to happen like in a way where you can see it but at least there's visibility right um and thankfully there's some there's some light at the end of the tunnel there's some uh medical research into the effects of the possible use of cvd oil to help actually uh recuperate damaged brain tissue uh which they didn't realize could be done before uh so there's potentially a, a light at the end of this but the most important thing about this is that the community is talking about it is aware of it uh up to and including there was a spot on uh what's john oliver's show called last week tonight yes last week tonight with john oliver where he basically calls out the wwe on uh the health concerns for its talent right it was talked about a lot then and there's obviously some people in the business who didn't have the the best reaction to it, but it is being discussed more now than it was back then where, first of all, our understanding about things like concussions was, was poorer. Um, but also, you know, a lot of that stuff would get swept under because that wasn't good for the brand, right? I, that, that sucks. I don't like thinking about something like that, but that's probably the reality of the situation, right? Well, there was a lot in the old days, there was a lot of, suck it up and keep wrestling so you didn't lose your spot. And these days, wrestlers are more informed and companies are more informed and there's a lot more focus on safety and making sure that everyone is recovered and good to go before they keep putting that repetitive strain on their bodies. Like, obviously, it's wrestling, it's high impact, it's going to have some damage regardless, but you're there's been a big push to make sure people are healthier before putting them back in, as opposed to telling them to suck it up, take a bunch of painkillers and go out and do it again tomorrow, which leads to huge issues down the road. Absolutely. And, and none of this actually answers your question, right? How can we keep watching this knowing that this stuff is happening is a completely fair question. And it's something that I pun most certainly intended wrestle with. Uh, Like it, it's tough. Um, but I guess like I, these people, so I guess my, my stance on it is that the people who are engaged in this, they like, they want to do this, right? This is, and so to what, what we can do as fans, I think is make sure that we're supporting the, the promotions and the endeavors that actually are taking care of their talent and champion for same, right? Like, better health care for these people, making sure that's part of like their contracts, their deals, making sure that um, 
we we are treating things like concussions very seriously and doing what we can to prevent them from happening. Like these are things that I, as a fan, can support by supporting promotions that are doing something about that and by challenging promotions that clearly are doing things that look unsafe. That being said, I'm still consuming AEW, and they definitely did an unprotected hair shot, chair shot to the head earlier this year, and that's already given me some consternation. Um, and they've said, yeah, that was a mistake since then. Like, they, yeah. which I give them props for there. Like, they didn't have to say, yeah, that was a mistake, we're not going to do it again, but they did. Well, and and we were talking about like the problematic storylines and and kind of moving us away from the violence question a little bit. We talked a lot about the issues around wrestlers of color and stuff like that. Um, I'm wondering if you all can talk somewhat about gender, because I know what like one of the times when I it seems like every about five or ten years I kind of poke my head into wrestling to see what's going on. Um, and and one of the last times I did before talking to you all in the last couple of years was back around 2000 2001 when a lot of my friends at that time uh, were talking about it. And I remember watching some of the women's matches, and it was basically softcore pornography. Um, and and and, and my, my understanding is that that has gotten a lot better. And I know, Tim, you have talked about that being a lot better. Can you guys talk somewhat about that? I mean, and, and granted, as four guys, we're maybe not the best experts to talk about this, but I still think it's worth noting. What, how is gender treated in this in what, at least traditionally, has been a there, – there, it really seems like there has been a huge amount of sexism in how women wrestlers were treated. That's, that's a big topic. Um but to start with, um, several years ago, the WWE women's division was called the Divas division, and the championship belt was a purple sparkly butterfly, um, which, like, obviously has some problems. But since then, very soon after I started watching, and one of the things that kept me watching was there was a WrestleMania where they announced that... Uh, the Divas division was being renamed to the Women's division, and that the women would no longer be called Divas, they were just going to be superstars, just like the men. They got a championship belt that was a recolor of the men's championship belt, and they're being treated like legitimate athletes and legitimate competitors, um, unlike when they were doing basically softcore pornography and being eye candy for the 25 to 34 year old men watching. And I can at least speak to, uh, as, as a more recent fan, most of the women's matches that I've watched play out very similarly to the men's matches in terms of what, what they're doing, the kinds of like a lot of the same moves, a lot of the same physicality. Um, and I've seen some footage of some uh, matches from an earlier era and just the way that the in-ring action has changed is is at least a step in the right direction in terms of equality and in terms of treating um the women talent on <clears throat> excuse me the women talent on the roster similar to the men talent on the roster um there's that that being said i don't think that the uh from from what i've seen there's still problems uh with how um women are treated versus men in in the product. I think that's fair to say. Yes. So it's it's better. It's just like with the violence thing. It's gotten better. Uh, it's gotten to the point where I got interested and started watching it. And one of the reasons why I 
was like not at all touching this was back in the the early 2000s whenever i would see it on television i would see something like this and go oh god why would i ever be interested in something like this right. uh, I, I mean remember the, the few women women matches that i i watched back in the day hair pulling was sort of like the most traditional move and it seems at least like we've moved away mm-hmm. from those days i mean that still is a thing. It's a real thing in uh, in UFC as well because it, it is a viable grip. But there's a difference in how you do it, right? There's sort of the, quote, cat fighty unquote, way of doing it. And there's the one where you're using it to move their head around, right? Right. And so just, again, changing the physical, rep- the physical presentation uh, matters a lot there. Um, also, like, honestly, the outfits are a lot less uh, male-gazy- uh, in some cases, uh, not all cases, uh, but you, and in least... some of those cases, it's character work in the yes. outfit to intentionally be that way too. Right. L- Lacey Evans is who I was thinking of when I was saying in most cases while like looking up into my brain to get my thoughts. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's treated as a deliberate character choice rather than being the default. Because uh, Becky Lynch comes out into the ring these days in uh, sort of a looking like a negative version of the jumpsuit from Kill Bill that Uma Thurman wore, right? Because it's it's yellow on black rather than black on yellow. Uh, And looks rad, and there's nothing like uh, inherently, at least from where I'm sitting... It doesn't seem like there's anything that's inherently like designed, for, designed quote unquote, for the male gaze, right? And again, all of this is there. There's still plenty of of social problems uh, with gender and with representation um, in in wrestling, uh, particularly women of color. Uh, although that's getting better as well, but it's it's a very slow progression, right? It seems like wrestling is still a couple of steps behind our current, uh, at least progressive side of our culture uh i think that's fair to say as well but we do have uh superstars like naomi uh superstars like um ember moon uh who i can think of who are women of color who are uh legitimate talent on the roster and while i might not think they're being utilized to their fullest uh they're not treated like jokes as far as i can tell and I know we're bouncing around here a little bit, but um, I, I know that you guys had, had brought up, <clears throat> kind of related to this, you got uh, wanting to talk somewhat about the the intergender matches and sort of how that's being addressed. So this is something that uh, Addison and I have talked about a fair amount, and and Tim and I have talked about a fair amount, and it's it's there's a lot of humming and hawing uh, currently, uh, at least among us, about intergender wrestling because it does seem like right. If these are violence people doing violence to each other because they're superheroes fighting other superheroes, right? That gender shouldn't play into it. But there's de- there's a a strong counter argument, right? To to that, um, I, I think it, Addison, uh, could can you speak to this a bit because I you you put it into pretty good words before about like what the sponsors are willing to tolerate but also like uh like you said there's uh two sides to this uh the kayfabe which is uh the the broader fiction of the universe is that wrestling is actually a sporting event and 
it would be very unusual uh, and uh, controversial if you had women competing against men in this kind of sport uh, in real life. And so there's uh, the uh, concern about uh, that perception of uh, violence of from men against women uh, in the uh, in the universe where you're pretending that you don't know that this is fiction. Uh, but then on the other side, uh, because it is fiction, uh, there is uh, the angle where it's completely reasonable in any action movie to have, uh, say, uh, Vanessa Kirby and uh, The Rock have a fist fight in Fast and the Furious. Absolutely. In fact, you know, those are fun scenes, right? Um, but in part of this, like, 100%, right? That's that's the point I was ineffectively attempting to articulate, right? That the the issue seems to be, or the, the issue that uh, the promotion of at least the WWE seems to be having is that there's a way, because of the conceit of the fiction... A intergender match is going is is going to have some quantity of a man doing violence to a woman, and within our culture right now, there's problems with that, right? Um, and that has to do with some historical stuff, and has to do with some very real problems that have been pervasive in our culture for a long time. Uh, and so because of that, they they sort of stray stray away from that. Now, interestingly, there have been some somewhat more recent examples of intergender wrestling but usually it's the women doing violence to the men and the men not doing much of anything to the women in turn um sort of as a i you know putting their hands up i can't do this type thing um which has its own kind of social problems right because that can you can see that as a well we don't want to show men doing violence to women you could also see that as that uh incredibly archaic idea that oh women are too fragile for for men to to physically interact with and so you can't you can't do that there's no way they'd be able to take a hit from a man kind of thing um which is dumb and gross and stupid but right this is, you've got those two things one of which is problematic and one of which you can at least understand the the fundamental idea behind why they don't want to do it or why they're cautious about it there's an oft-discussed reason I see floating around about the reason why promoters or companies don't want to do intergender wrestling is they feel it is too close to domestic violence, which, like, is reasonable and seems fine on the surface, and then if you dig a little more, you realize things like, not all relationships are a man and a woman and not all domestic violence is man on woman mm-hmm. and or it, physical at all or physical at all and it trivializes the experiences of things like men in gay relationships who experience domestic violence or other similar situations so yeah. while it so while it's a reasonable thought on the surface is just very trivial and doesn't really fully answer the problem. And this does seem like one more area where the the questions that are coming up in wrestling 
really mirror the questions that are coming up in a lot of the other kind of media we talk about. I mean, um, you just mentioned scenes where The Rock and a, a, a woman actor can get into a fight on screen and it's okay. That, at least as I, I've never done like a formal study, but certainly from everything I've seen and read, that's a pretty re- that's a pretty recent development. You know, 10 years ago, if there was a badass woman villain who had to be taken down, you can almost guarantee that the hero would have a badass woman sidekick. And then at the final fight, the guy would be fighting the guy villain and the woman would be fighting the woman villain. Um, so so yeah, it's just interesting to me how many of the discussions we're having are are really kind of similar to the same discussions happening about these similar questions in comic books, in video games, in superhero stuff, in science fiction, etc. Because as it turns out, it's 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 cultural, right? And as this is this this fiction is also a part of our culture, and it 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 sells itself to uh, the populace at large. And so, if they don't think the populace at large is ready to accept that, they're not incented to sell it. Uh, and Tim, I just wanted to say, uh, excellent point, and I'm really glad that you brought it up because the the it's it's easy. Uh, to sort of live within your own limited experience and not think about um, the fact that those sort of assertions only pass like the most rudimentary quick pass intellectual analysis. It's really important to always analyze things from outside of one's own experience to think about, well, does this pass the smell test if I remember that people aren't all like me? So thank you very much for for bringing that up. Uh, So sort of shifting from so there's way more social concerns uh within wrestling uh that aren't related to to gender or to minorities there's obviously plenty there uh in particular like the fact as we talked about earlier the use of my minor some minorities often as a as foreigner characters uh who are almost exclusively villains because they're not american and therefore that means they're bad or whatever like yeah that's that still happens sometimes um but there's also uh other issues such as where promotions choose to spend their money or take their money right um and i think we wanted to talk for a little bit about some of the things that the the biggest the, the biggest franchise of all of these the, the one we've been talking the most about the wwe has been doing that because it's also an ethical problem yes so this was one of the main topics of John Oliver's segment uh, on Last Week Tonight about WWE, but it's their shows in Saudi Arabia that are paid for by the Saudi government. Um, WWE took large amounts of money from the Saudi Arabian government to put on shows in the capital and other cities uh, in that country, and promote them and talk about them and in some cases talk about how great and progressive Saudi Arabia is and there's a lot to unpack there uh, in particular uh, how many uh, just ballpark figure how many uh, women's matches do you think are at these Saudi Arabia shows as the person with the least amount of knowledge about this Matthew what do you think I would be amazed if there was a single one. My guess is that there is absolutely no women wrestling allowed in Saudi Arabia. Correct. Not only that, there are not women allowed in the audience at these shows. Not only that, but at the first <laughs> Saudi Arabian show, 
Uh, some of the female wrestlers came up in the arena on an advertisement, and the Saudi government got very mad about it. So here's a here's a very clear, they're doing a bad thing, and we want to call them out on it, right? There's yeah. no part of this that is acceptable. Um, they also used the Saudi Arabia show to sort of, I guess, test pilot bringing back um, Hulk Hogan, a very bad human being that shouldn't be paid talent anymore uh, because he said some very bad things and has never even attempted to retract. Uh, ugh. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of bad to unpack in just this one thing. Particularly, I think it's offensive because of the like you were saying tim about how they're like running these these promotions for the show talking about how progressive this this cover this government is right like yeah like there are we could do an entire podcast on the issues with wwe's saudi shows from the lack of women to uh the several wrestlers who said no i'm not going there uh, by choice to the at least one who was banned because he's Syrian of Syrian descent. Jesus. There's, mm-hmm. I know at least one person, uh, one host of a wrestling podcast that I listen to has boycotted WWE since they started doing their Saudi shows. It was a line that she did not want to cross that she felt was too far. And I don't blame her for that. I know that I've, started watching less WWE and started watching more of other promotions since that's been a thing. Because, like, again, the only real influence we as fans have is our attention, right? Our attention and our money. Uh, And so, like, other than calling them out on things like this that are a huge problem that, that need to be talked about at the forefront as a this is ethically unconscionable, right? The only other things we have any agency over, uh, the only things we can do to try to make it hurt is to take those things away, our tension and our money. Um, and, you know, when, when you enjoy something like this, it's tough. Uh, Matthew, you and I have talked uh, at length about some uh, other properties we've enjoyed, uh, for example, in our Harry Potter episode, where when something about the creator came about um, that we're not at all happy with how that, you know, influences our enjoyment of of the product itself, of, of the art in that case, right? Right. And I see this as sort of a similar problem where there's a lot going on that I enjoy. There's a lot going on that actually is, like, reasonably progressive. We have uh, Kofi Kingston is, is currently your champion still. Yes, he hasn't dropped the yes. belt yet, right? Still your champion. Uh, so we have, uh, we have a black person who's the men's champion, uh, on one of the promotions, it's fantastic, uh, and got that at WrestleMania, right? Um, we've got the uh, women's rosters at a point where they're, uh, you know, they're pull- they they main evented, the women main evented WrestleMania this year. They were the very last match, right? Something that I think historically has that that never happened before, right? This is the first that never time happened ever, before, right? So there's there's progress being made, but. You know, sometimes it's like you go three steps forward and uh, some thousands of miles to the east, I guess. And yeah, it's yeah. 
So it's it's tough, uh, and it is a again a real ethical problem when we're talking about enjoyment of these stories that we have to consider the uh, real life implications. There's a, a saying that we have in Tim and my's friend group, uh, which is that uh, Ender Wigan is a chicken sandwich. Uh, and that is uh, referring to both the uh, indefensible uh, position of the author of the Ender's Game series uh, and also to the indefensible positions of Chick-fil-A uh, and how it's challenging to support uh, the provably delicious chicken sandwich and uh, very fascinating uh, content of uh, the Ender's Game novel uh, without supporting the creators of them. And wrestling is a absolutely massive chicken sandwich. It's so big. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate you phrasing it that way because I like I, I am someone who, for example, has I, I haven't touched Chick-fil-A in more than a year and, and, and hope to never do so again. But there's also other ways in which I do spend my money that I know other people would, would disagree with. I, I certainly stuck around as an NFL fan for a much longer time than, than many others. Um, and, and the way you're all describing it, I to be honest, I think I would have real trouble spending giving any of my attention to the WWE, given the kind of stuff you guys are saying. But I also think that that, that, that part of the point where I was starting with is that we don't live in a more in a, in a, in a there is no such thing as morally pure consumerism in this economy. Like it's just not possible. And every dis, dis, every piece of media we encounter, every everything we decide to spend our money on or spend our watching time on or any of that, there's some degree of moral compromise. And it sounds like at least that. Um, each of you in your own way is sort of asking those tough questions and asking yourselves about what part of this experience will you or will you not consume and how does that, that play into other things you will or won't spend your money on. Yeah, and the struggle especially comes because of how big WWE is. They often vacuum up independent talent or talent from other promotions because WWE is quote-unquote the big leagues. So right. there's a line between wanting to support the people and not wanting to support the company. And it's just a very tricky balance that I struggle with a lot. Right. Is there such a thing as a woke wrestling promotion? There are. Um, you really have to look on the independent circuit for the most part there, but there are several indie promotions. Um, I think one I heard about in the Chicago area is called Rise that focuses on female wrestlers and queer wrestlers and uh, put on a show for Pride called Pride and Joy that I heard gushing things about from some of my other wrestling podcasts. Oh, man. That's pretty awesome. I wish I could go watch that stuff. That sounds great. Um, it, it, but generally speaking, it seems like the more uh, – the, the bigger, the more uh, mainstream is probably the right word, I guess, a promotion gets – uh, the more glacial their response is to social change and social progress. Um, like uh, the, the one of the newer promotions, AEW, is sort of in a unique position because they're hypothetically still starting up. They're on an on-ramp. Um, and so they've got some things going for them. Uh, they've got a... I don't know if this is an actual first, but I think it's... Uh, is Nyla Rose, like, 
a first for a transgender wrestler, or is that just the first big name that's a transgender wrestler? Uh, I believe she is the first trans wrestler who is getting attention on a stage as large as this. Sure. But, I mean, it would be wild if, if she was, well... Not, but not completely out of the realm of of intellectual possibility, right? Because we know how these things behind the scenes supposedly act as almost like a carnival, apparently, in terms of how how you get your gig, right, and how you keep it. And so, I would absolutely believe those are some very backward social ideas that would keep people, um, you know, legitimate talent out of the business for backwards old reasons, right? Uh, but <clears throat> right. Um, so there, there's, there are some examples, but like, there's, there's this danger, right, of tokenism, of being like, oh, we've got the one, uh, so that then we're good, right? And that's not okay either, right? You got to treat all potential talent, uh, equally, and not just have, right? And I'm not saying that's the case with Nyla Rose. Uh, when you, when you see Nyla in the ring, uh, I 100% like. She's very impressive, uh, and is like one of the uh, uh, def- like. There's nothing about the presentation of Nyla Rose that treats her any differently than any of the other women on the roster, and I love that, as far as I can tell, at least. Uh, more about her size, I think, and that just more has to do with her ability to deal damage, much in the same way that we uh, like we see promotional material around Braun Strowman, who is a very large man, emphasizing the fact that he's a very large man, right? Um, but it, it's still the case that, again, these are these are sort of exceptions and not, like, it, it hasn't reached a point where you can point to, I think, many, many, many examples of progressivism in in these different promotions. And part of that is that I think a lot of their uh, fan base doesn't, agree necessarily with with all of these social ideas uh and they're probably paying attention to their bottom line this is all speculation on my part um i'm not saying it's right i fundamentally disagree with it obviously but there you have it um and you can also sort of see this in some of the stories they tell right uh one of the things i had on our notes here to talk about was uh, a lot of the story beats uh, are still coming from ideas that are part, at least in my mind, are part of toxic masculinity. You've got this story more recently. Uh, so Becky Lynch, who we mentioned earlier, and Seth Rollins are in a relationship outside of the fiction, right? And they've decided to utilize that in the narrative. And part of the way they've utilized it is they had a position where somebody did uh, a violence to Becky and Seth Rollins got, you know, super angry, violent, upset, and and railed on the person to, you know, a big pop from the audience. But that that sequence of events is inherently problematic because of where it's come from in our culture. Am I making sense, or am I am I on an island here? It is definitely uh, problematic in a vacuum uh, because they can't breathe and. And the the counterpoint to that is that earlier in that same storyline, uh, and prior to uh, that, uh, a violence was done to Seth, mm-hmm. 
and Becky was the first person to uh, uh, see red in that way, right? And defend their relationship, right? And I I don't know if that makes it better, but it is definitely it. It means that when it happened to Seth, it was even, right? I, unfortunately, because of of the gender dynamic in our culture right now, uh, it's harder to see them even back to back. Right? It's harder to see them the same way uh, because we don't have like it hasn't been a, an an equal thing in our fiction, right? Um, I don't know of many movies where you see sort of that that uh, quote traditional gender role unquote that is a very loaded term right reversed um but the the so i i agree that it's made i do think it is made better because they are at least do they're they're presenting it in sort of an equal way that both of these people are like this and that does a little bit to make it seem less like it's about gender but you know, not, it, it's still the case where when I when I saw the first thing, the, the one thing you were talking about, uh, I was all like, yeah, Becky, go get him. Uh, and when I saw the other one, I like got a little squick in in my stomach where I was like, mm, not sure I'm into that. Well, and, and this lets me bring up uh, kind of one more question that I, I unfortunately have to disappear. So I'll ask one more kind of nice, small, easily digestible question that you'll just take 30 seconds on, I'm sure. Um, one of the conversations that I hear a lot in regard to wrestling is that it is meant to be kind of a, almost a satire, uh, at least today, that it's meant to be almost, you know, a satire of um, toxic masculinity and of male performanceness, you know, particularly in that how much it goes in, that it, 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 it clearly goes so far over the line from manly men doing manly things into straight up homoeroticism. Um, and, and, and just kind of almost making, making fun of that idea of like the jacked guy. Um, and, and I'm wondering, but I also, but the flip side being that it seems to be one of those things where there's a really good irony there, but, but it's really easy to miss it too. And so it becomes that kind of question of like, what's your moral stance when you are, trying really hard to make fun of something and doing it in a way that a lot of people aren't going to get the joke and are going to think you're just one more time saying, yay, men are manly men if they have bigger muscles. Um, what, what, what's your guys' kind of take on that? The, 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 to, what, to what extent the irony here is intended and whether that, that kind of justifies it in some way? One of the big problems with satire as an art form is exactly that. You need the audience to be in on the joke in order for it to function as you intended. Mm -hmm. And so even if there is a contingent in the writer's room at the WWE that is deliberately writing things uh, as a parody of toxic masculinity, uh, I don't think that uh, it is fair to say that wrestling is in any way a satire just because the vast majority of the actual week-to-week viewing audience doesn't see it that way yeah i i 100 agree if if the presentation was such that a majority or even a significant contingent of the audience were viewing it in that fashion um then 
it playing as satire makes more sense, right? This is this is what people have chosen to consume it as, and so even if it wasn't intended as satire, you could argue because of the subjectivity of art that it it's sort of de facto satire. But that's sort of not what's happening, at least right now, for some people. I know some people who do view it that way, um, and I'm not saying that their interpretation of the story is at all wrong. Um, more that uh, I agree with Addison that the 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 way that the fandom generally seems to be consuming it is a lot more straight up and down as it's presented, rather than as like a, a veneer that is making fun of a lot of the stuff underneath. Because there are part of that is there are deliberate comedy spots uh, where you are intended to uh, you know be in on the joke, which makes the stuff that's played more serious not really seem like satire to me right. uh, again my perspective on it and with that i need to step off but I, uh this has been an awesome conversation i've completely wrecked your outline but uh please go on and continue and i'll look forward to hearing the rest of the conversation later absolutely uh take care matthew we probably only like i just yeah we're just going to talk about the cultural expectations thing i think and then go out from there thank you for your time always nice talking with you this was sort of a last point in in the outline it's one i wanted to make sure we talked about because i think it's a it's sort of a a sideways look at this and it's it's sort of playing to a point that tim made earlier uh or or yeah where we're we're looking at things that aren't major like not everything is made for us specifically um and sometimes that means that there are conceits that aren't a part of our culture right and so there are just like we've got a bunch of different wrestling here in the States, uh, there's also a bunch of wrestling that happens over in the UK. Uh, it's very popular in Japan. It's very popular in, in Mexico uh, with Lucha Libre wrestling. So sort of springboarding off of that, uh, I believe, Addison, you were the one who added this point to here. Is that correct? Yeah. So so uh, what what was your uh, what are your thoughts here? What did you want to what did you want to bring forward into the discussion about the the idea about uh, the different cultural expectations and the different uh, lines they might draw? Yeah. So this was uh, sort of driven by uh, an experience that I've been having with a different over the top fictional property, uh, the Yakuza game series uh and uh it is a uh it a lot like wrestling in that it is very melodramatic and you solve all of your problems by getting into brawls with various people and like wrestling it has a lot of very troubling uh representations of uh, women and especially uh, the LGBT plus community, uh, which uh, is, in my experience with other Japanese media, pretty par for the course. And as a result, Japanese wrestling is not immune to that. And the uh, the the subject that I wanted to uh, sort of broach there is. Uh, what kind of responsibility do you have as a viewer to contextualize things uh, when the the mainstream that it was intended for is not the stream that you're viewing it in? Right. So uh, thoughts on that, because there's uh, 
I have some, right? Um, I'm curious, uh, Tim and, and Addison, uh, as people who have uh, consumed a lot more uh, Japanese wrestling and Lucha Libre currently than I have, like, how do you feel about it? It's because it's a different culture and comes from a different context, it's really weird to understand how I'm supposed to feel about some of these things. For instance, uh, in Mexico and Lucha Libre, there are two classes or archetypes of wrestlers that we don't really see in America, and those are uh, the minis, which are little people wrestlers, and the exoticos, which are basically drag queens wrestling, uh, men dressing up like women and acting like women and wrestling in a very similar fashion as drag queens perform, to my understanding. Mm-hmm. And the first times I saw this, I it f- felt incredibly offensive um, because of how much of a joke they were treated as. But I don't have the... Mexican context of knowing where this representation comes from and whether it started out as insulting and has changed to kind of embracing these differences or whether like it's still just a joke. Right. I at least the way it was presented in the the one uh promotion I've watched in, in Lucha Underground. Um the announcer, at least, was talking like this was like a really cool thing, and everyone was really excited to have a, uh, someone who was part of the Exotico culture um, in their promotion. Uh, and the fans were, you know, cheering and applauding. Um, and it seemed to me to be presented more as a, like, this is something they celebrated, rather than this is something that they liked having around so they could laugh and mock it. Uh, but not being a part of the culture, that's harder for me to say for sure. Right? Because I don't actually know. Mm -hmm. And I think that given the rise of uh, the internet making it considerably easier to find uh, Lucha Libre and Japanese wrestling, uh, as you mentioned, Tim and I have been watching a lot of New Japan, uh, probably the best known Japanese promotion, uh, because they have an online subscription service the same as the WWE does. Uh, AAA, which is one of the better-known Mexican promotions, has a Twitch channel where they uh, stream a lot of their shows. And so it's so much easier now to find these things that you need to know how to handle them right? than it was even five years ago. Right, and that's also why it's important to to acknowledge and to understand uh, some some... Uh, cultural differences that may be jarring to you, right? Uh, given your uh, given your background, but and you're right. I think the accessibility plays a lot into why, uh, like first of all, why we can talk about it at all, right? But also why we can have these sort of different presentations, um, and within each of their, uh, it, I hesitate to call them microcosms because Japan certainly isn't micro and neither is Mexico, but uh, w- within their own uh, subcultures uh, to our global culture, right? Having uh, things that, uh, ha- having uh, presentations and perceptions that we look at a particular way, um, but they might not. 
uh, or it might be treated completely differently, or it might be okay uh, in in their culture, and for us it's not. Or or we say, well, why aren't they doing this? And it's actually going to be unconscionable for them to do it there. Um, so that was a whole lot of vague words to say I agree with, with uh, the idea. Um, and also to sort of, you know, when, when you're watching uh, uh, any of this, if, if anybody uh, decides to get into this, uh, and you're seeing something coming from one of those other places, remembering that... Uh, you know, not everybody is is the United States, uh, and that there's there sometimes the differences are just like seem comical or strange. Uh, but like I think the minis are great. I love it when Mascarita Sagrada shows up on uh, on Lucha Underground. Um, I want him to win a match, but other than that, like he did beat Son of Havoc, I believe. Did he? Oh, right. When Son of Havoc was on that giant losing streak. So okay. A little bit off topic, but yeah, the, the the reason why I made that statement was that, like, for me, representation uh, and, and the way that I sort of uh, pH test, like, strip test whether or not a promotion is treating their talent as equal to their other talent is whether or not they let them win uh, ever, right? Uh, so until the very finale of Lucha Underground, uh, Cage was oddly mistreated, <laughs> but... As the um, largest man on the roster. Yeah, I mean, he was he's billed as just this massive monster of a man, and yet uh, wasn't doing a whole lot of that winning thing. Uh, which you know that that spe- because yes, the as as we discussed, it's all fictional, so the winning is is sort of scripted. Um, but it does do something story wise to legitimacy, and that sort of plays into our ideas of the legitimacy of those people as equal to the other competitors, right? And so that's like sort of a, a broad meta topic as well, the idea that if you have somebody who doesn't do a lot of winning, that makes it seem to the fans like they're not as good as everybody else who is potential who is winning matches. And so there's some there's sort of a a conceit that they have to have in order to make them legitimate they have to actually manage those results in a way that makes it seem like everybody has a chance. Uh, I think, unless people have more to talk about uh, on that particular topic, uh, I think we're ready to uh, share closing thoughts and do a wrap-up. Is there anything uh, you wanted to talk about on that topic or on others that we didn't get to touch on? Well, as you can see, this is a very light topic with very few points of discussion, and that's clearly everything we can talk about on the subject. 100%. We're done. We've talked about all... Nobody ever has to do this discussion again. We've covered all of wrestling. Until next year when there's more of it. (laughs) Right. Um, Edison, anything uh, anything else you want to talk about or want to make sure that we discuss before we wrap up? No, I think... uh... Everything that I had thought about going into this and also lots of other things have now <laughs> already been said. Awesome. Outstanding. Well, thank, I want to thank both of you for, for coming on and joining us for this discussion. Uh, don't think it would have been nearly as profitable if it was just me like mansplaining wrestling to Matthew for several hours. Uh, so it was a lot. It was a more organic discussion. You each uh, had a lot to contribute that I really appreciated. Um, if, if you're interested... Uh, if anybody have uh, has an interest in continuing the discussions uh, 
with you after this uh is there any way that you want to give out for people to contact you uh so tim any any yeah i don't use it much but i do have a twitter that is at obel tim uh that's at a u b e l t i m on twitter um most of what I have on there is retweeting stuff people who are way smarter than me talk about. But if you want to start a discussion about wrestling or the ethics thereof, or if you want other media within wrestling that discusses these sort of things, I'm very happy to talk about that. Awesome. And uh, Addison, how can people get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, so I am at Demullet on platforms, uh, D-A-M-U-L-L-E-T. Uh, I've got a Twitter. I've probably got a Mastodon, if I can remember the password, uh, Neopets forums, whatever. Uh, if you see somebody with that name, it's probably me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, as always, as for me, uh, I am BotsRPeople2 on Twitter. Uh, the R is the letter R, the rest are the actual words. Uh, Matthew is Caped Ethicist on twitter and we also have the superhero ethics twitter as well as the superhero ethics facebook group you can join that to help join in on uh, some of the discussions we've been having we've had a couple of people respond to our harry potter episode or to uh what in the world did we do before harry potter oh my brain doesn't work anymore because i'm an old person it was the mcu episode was it the mcu yeah the the sort of the sunset mcu episode right um so but really any of the topics we've talked about uh there have been many posts uh having discussions it is a facebook group which means that one of the admins has to approve you but we have a policy of auto approving and then deleting spammers so if you want to come in you're fine if you're a spammer well i you are uh, you are a robot so i do acknowledge your agency as a person but i'm still gonna have to boot you from the group to keep our our word count down and make sure the topics can flow to the top of people's views that people actually want to talk about rather than whatever you're trying to advertise uh so apologies but that's the way it's got to be in this harsh and cruel world uh my robot friends uh Otherwise, I'm going to be kicking it to Matthew to do sort of a post-recording outro. Uh, but on behalf of myself, uh, Tim Obel and Addison, thank you very much for listening, and have a good day. I heard a lip smack, but not a swallow.